You're listening to Sunday Sermons for Christ Pacific Church, located in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. Let's join Peter Little as we continue through the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, in our current series, A New Humanity. Hey, um, we are taking a look at the Beatitudes the introduction of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. We're doing this each week. We're reading the same verses, so, uh, you know, it's not like a Groundhog Day. You're not experiencing the same worship service over and over again, but we are reading the same text over and over again as we consider Jesus' Beatitudes. And like we've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to do This morning, um, I'm going to read a portion of it, and then you are going to read a portion of it. So I'll be doing the, uh, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then you're going to do the for they will be filled part, and um, it should be clear on the screen. If you're able, would you stand with me? And let's read God's Word uh, together. So I'll be the white text, you'll be the red text. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gracious and living God, thank you for this, your word. Jesus, thank you for this sermon that you preached. Thank you for the disciple Matthew who remembered and faithfully recorded what you said. We pray now that you would help us not only to understand what you have said, but to ingest what you have said to allow your word to actually shape us and form us. God, we trust that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will do this. For we trust that you are good, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can have a seat. About 15 years ago, I took a group of young adults, about a dozen of them, Uh, On a backpacking trip in the Trinity Alps wilderness up in Northern California, I was, uh, at the time, I was serving as the director for Young Adult Ministries at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. And one of the things that I had the privilege of doing was uh, taking young adults out on wilderness disasters, trips, I mean. And um, we, on this particular trip, we went to the Trinity Alps wilderness. We were out there for, I think, four days or something like that on this backpacking trip. It became famous for the trip in which we were attacked by deer, Uh, but that's a different story. I'll tell you about it on the patio if you're interested. But on this 
trip, I was still learning the art of knowing how much food to bring for a dozen young adults who are hiking, you know, seven, eight, nine miles every day. And we quickly learned as we would eat lunch together and then dinner together that we ate all the food and we were still hungry. I didn't pack enough food. That was, by the way, that was the last time I ever didn't bring enough food on any outdoor adventure. I'm always the guy with way too much food because I don't want that to happen again. But you know how when you're um, maybe like uh, at a dinner party or some kind of event and, and there's a platter of desserts or cookies and they just get devoured except the last one? <laughs> Nobody's going to eat the last one, you know? Like, I mean, you'll have two or three cookies and a piece of cake, and, you know, but... Don't eat the last one because you would be taking it from somebody else. So here we were, all of us, starving. We're on like day number three. We're getting used to this. And there's one cracker left. (laughs) There's 12 of us, you know. Who's going to eat the last cracker? Came a bit of a joke. Well, I felt like I was starving on that trip. I felt like I was probably going to perish for lack of nutrients as I was burning, you know, thousands of calories every day. But the truth is, I don't think I lost a single pound on that trip. So clearly, I wasn't starving. I actually had enough food. I was just used to eating a lot more food than I actually needed. Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of hunger, a different kind of thirst a hunger and thirst for righteousness. A couple of things uh, to begin with. So I've been saying this uh, the last several weeks as we have considered the Beatitudes, that, that these Beatitudes, these qualities that Jesus blesses, are not natural human qualities. The qualities that Jesus blesses in the Sermon on the Mount are the result of an encounter with Jesus. Jesus does not come to Galilee looking for beatitude people to recruit to be on his team. These beatitudes are not inherently present in human beings. Rather, what happens is Jesus shows up, he moves into our neighborhood, and when we have an encounter with Jesus, he takes ordinary people like you and me and transforms us into extraordinary people who display these non-natural qualities. These qualities that Jesus blesses are all the result of an encounter with Jesus. They're the result of being inside that form venue that Josh had in his vision. When you get in, When you walk in, because I think the door is open, right? You just have to walk in. You're invited. Come on in. And when you get in and have an encounter with the living God, you will never be the same again. You begin to become a beatitude person. In the last few weeks, we've considered uh, the first three of the eight qualities that Jesus blesses. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, and then last week, Jericho considered those who are meek. And today we're going to look at this fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does Jesus mean when he talks about righteousness? What is he referring to? Well, righteousness in the Bible 
is always about flourishing relationships, not necessarily about following rules. Now, you might think of righteousness as uh, obeying a particular code of ethics. You know, someone who is righteous is someone who uh, follows all the rules, always does the right thing. Maybe you think of righteousness and religious as synonymous. Uh, You know, righteous people are religious people. Or maybe when you hear the word righteous, you hear kind of a negative intonation because really the only way we use that word righteous in today's parlance is when we talk about folks who are self-righteous. So maybe there's a bit of a, a negative ring to this word for you, but what does Jesus mean when he talks about righteousness? What is Jesus referring to? Well, Jesus isn't talking about following rules rightly. He's talking about flourishing relationships. He's talking about right relatedness. Now, of course, right relatedness involves following some rules. But the goal is flourishing relationships, not rules that have been followed. Because you all know that you can follow, it's possible for you to follow all the rules and not experience a flourishing relationship. What Jesus is talking about and what he's referring to is right relationship, right relatedness, flourishing relationships, not so much about following rules. And he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for this right relatedness. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, who desire, who crave a flourishing relationship. You will be satisfied. Think of the most famous list of rules in Scripture, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments themselves are about flourishing relationships. They are not about do's and don'ts. Here's why I can say this. What is the first line of the Ten Commandments? Do you remember? It's from Exodus 20. What is the first line of the Ten Commandments? You will have no other gods before me? Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, who? I think I heard it over here. I am the Lord your God? Yeah, exactly. The first line of the Ten Commandments... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is how the Ten Commandments begins. The first line is a declaration of a relationship that is being established or has been established by the living God. Because of the gracious initiative of God, this relationship has been formed. I am the Lord your God. I rescued you from slavery. Now, Because of that, in light of that great fact, in light of that reality, because I have established a relationship with you, there are some things that I would like to talk to you about, about how to cultivate a flourishing relationship. So the Ten Commandments themselves, the most famous set of rules in the Bible, they are not really about do's and don'ts. They are about a flourishing relationship. They are a description of what flourishing relationships look like. This is why disobedience is not grievous because rules have not been followed. 
Disobedience is grievous because a relationship has not been taken seriously. Disobedience is not grievous because rules haven't been followed. Now, those of you who are parents, I think, maybe understand this better than the rest of us. It's not so much that rules haven't been followed, it's that a relationship has not been taken seriously. One of these days, I'm going to preach on the Ten Commandments for ten weeks, and I promise you, it will be ten weeks of relationship. It won't be ten weeks of do's and don'ts. One of these days, maybe in 2023. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relatedness. Congratulations, says Jesus, for those of you who crave healthy and flourishing relationships. Right on, you're in sync with the kingdom of God and you will be satisfied. The very beginning of the scriptures makes it clear that we were created for relationship. Genesis 1 and 2 talks about the four specific relationships for which we were created. I, I want to talk uh, just briefly about all four of these. So first of all, we were created uh, for right relatedness with the earth. We are ecological beings. The Lord set human beings in this cosmic garden called earth to cultivate it. Did you know that the Hebrew word, um, Hebrew is the language that the Old Testament was written in, and the Hebrew word for earth or dirt is Adama. And the Hebrew word for man or human is Adam. That's why we called him Adam. His name just means of the earth, of the dirt, human being, actually a a better translation would be earthling of the earth. You see, human beings were created from the dirt. We were created to cultivate the dirt. And then ultimately we return to the dirt. We are ecological beings. We were created for four basic relationships that I'm going to talk about. And one of them is this relationship with all of creation. Which is, by the way... Why, if you take Scripture seriously as the God-breathed revelation, then you have to come to terms with our responsibility to care for the earth, which we have a relationship with. So from a biblical perspective, we have this divine mandate to be faithful stewards of all of creation. God created the earth. It's his. It doesn't belong to us. And he set us in it in order to take care of it on his behalf. So side note here, this is why, for example, climate change or global warming or whatever you want to call it, all of those discussions are actually asking the wrong questions. The question is not whether the climate is changing. The question is not whether the average temperature of Earth's atmosphere is going up. The question is not whether we had something to do with it or not. Those are all the wrong questions. The right question is, what does it look like for us to be faithful stewards of creation? What does it look like for us to be obedient to God's mandate to care for creation? Whether the temperature is going up or down or sideways, whether you are personally responsible for it or not, one thing is for sure, we were created for relationships, one of which is a relationship with creation. But all of that is another sermon. 
Number two, we were created for relationships with other people because we're social beings. Right? The Lord said, Genesis 1, verse 27, the Lord said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. In our image according to our likeness. The Lord says, in our image. Who's, who's our? Who, who's we? It, I thought it was just God. Who's we? And yes, it is just God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who has experienced community, who exists in community. God has never been alone. God is a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, hey, let us make humankind in our image, God is saying, let us make human beings relational, just like we are relational. So the triune God exists in relationship, and so he creates you and me to also exist in relationship because we're social creatures. Third, we also have a relationship with ourselves. We're psychological beings. It's been said that we can only love others to the degree that we love ourselves. Finally, we We're created for relationship with the Lord because we are spiritual beings. We are more than simply blood and bones. This relationship with the Lord is the relationship that holds all the other relationships together. Unfortunately, we have turned our backs on our relationship with the Lord. And as a result, all of the other relationships in our lives have unraveled. Because we turned our backs on our relationship with God, our relationship with the earth has unraveled and is strained by greed and egocentrism and neglect and denial. Our social relationships are marked by bitterness, slander, deceit, covetousness, ruthlessness, betrayal. Our psychological relationship with ourselves is sometimes characterized by depression or narcissism or even mental illness of all sorts. Do you see what's going on? When we turn our back on the primary relationship for which we were created, a relationship with God, then what happens is all of our other relationships unravel because our relationship with the living God is the relationship that holds all the other relationships together. Now, there's really good news here. The really good news is that right relatedness is possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who sets our relationship with God right, gives us access to flourishing relationships in every realm of our lives. This is why Jesus can say, congratulations. Congratulations to you who desire right relatedness. You will be satisfied. So what does it look like to hunger and thirst? If righteousness is really right-relatedness in all of these four relationships, then what does Jesus mean by hungering and thirsting? William Barclay put it this way. Too soon, sorry, you can't see that yet. William Barclay put it this way. He says, hunger and thirst, the hunger and thirst that Jesus describes is no genteel hunger which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. The thirst of which Jesus speaks is no thirst which could be quenched with a cup of coffee or an iced drink. 
It's the hunger of someone who's starving for food and the thirst of someone who will die unless she drinks. So bad news, a grande pumpkin spice latte does not help. (laughs) Although it tastes pretty good. That hunger that I was experiencing in the Trinity Alps starvation backpack trip, that wasn't really starvation. We weren't actually all that hungry. Blessed is the one who thirsts for right relatedness like someone who craves water in the Mojave. Blessed is the one who craves this right relatedness with her whole being because just like she knows she will die in the Mojave without water, so she knows she will die unless she gets this right relatedness. You will be satisfied, Jesus says. So what does it mean then for all of our other hungers and thirsts? You know, are they insignificant? Do they not matter? I'm going to be hungry here in about an hour and a half. Does that not matter? Should I ignore that? Well, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's announcing the gospel. He, he's saying, look, an encounter with me does something to you. Because Jesus enters our world. He enters into our lives. He enters into all of our hunger, other hungers and thirsts. And then he restores our hunger and thirst for right relatedness. And then Jesus transforms our appetites. Jesus heals all of our other hungers and thirsts by recalibrating them with the gospel. Jesus doesn't squash your desire. He realigns your desire with his desire. Which is why the psalmist can say in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. How can the Lord grant you the desires of your heart? Well, if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then that means your desires are being realigned according to his desires. And why would God not grant you his own desires? So Jesus doesn't squash your hunger. He doesn't eliminate your desire He doesn't eliminate your appetite. He realigns, he transforms your appetite so that it's in line with his. I think Daryl Johnson says this wonderfully. Daryl was a pastor for 30 years in Glendale up the street in Sacramento and Vancouver, B.C. uh, and in Manila. And he says this. He says, Hunger and thirst for righteousness does not displace hunger for food. It heals hunger for food by delivering it from compulsiveness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness does not negate hunger for sex. It heals hunger for sex by delivering it from obsession. Hunger and thirst for righteousness does not kill hunger for significance. It heals hunger for significance by delivering it from egocentricity. One theologian keenly observed that when the prodigal son was hungry, he turned to hog feed. When he was starving, he turned to his father. 
That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are those who, like the prodigal son, come to their senses and see that when they try to satisfy every desire they have with everything except for God, they end up starving to death. Congratulations when you become like the prodigal son and come to your senses. You will be satisfied. St. Augustine was a theologian in the 4th century, and he was someone who was very familiar with a distorted appetite for sex and significance. It led him down all sorts of unhelpful pathways. Augustine finally was able to see that all of our longings, in the final analysis, are longings for God. All of our longings are symptomatic of our longings for God. This is why G.K. Chesterton could say, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Did you know that hunger and thirst for right-relatedness is the only craving that comes with a guarantee of satisfaction? No other hungers come with a guarantee. You will be satisfied. When, Jesus? When will we be satisfied? Well, we will be filled, ultimately, when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness, when Jesus returns, when the great return of the king comes to, comes to fruition, and all of creation is finally and fully restored. On that day, we will be satisfied. But do we have to wait? Do we have to wait that long, whenever that is? I mean, it could happen tomorrow, but, but we don't know. Do, are, are we going to be starving until then? Are we going to experience this kind of cotton mouth until that great day? Well, thank the Lord, no. We can begin to experience this satisfaction right now when we eat the bread of life and drink the living water. At one point, Jesus had miraculously, miraculously fed thousands of people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. The people had their fill. The next day, they were hungry again, and they came searching for Jesus so they could get another free fish sandwich. Jesus said to this hungry crowd, basically, he said, look, you're all impressed because I satisfied your craving for dinner, but I can give you so much more if you hunger and thirst for more than a fish sandwich. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus, right now, offers to satisfy our hunger for right relatedness. A little bit before he fed those thousands of people with those miraculous fish sandwiches, Jesus came to a well in the heat of the day and met a woman who was there drawing water. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Jesus says, ask me and I'll give you this living water that quenches your deepest thirst and ultimately leads to everlasting life. This morning as we turn to the communion table, let us eat and drink and be satisfied with the real presence of Jesus Christ. The real bread of life which truly satisfies. That living water which quenches our most significant 
thirsts. And as we experience this kind of filling and satisfaction by the real presence of Jesus Christ, may he transform our appetites so that all of our other desires, all of our other hungers and thirsts would be calibrated by the gospel, would be realigned by the gospel. So friends, let's turn to the communion table as we hunger and thirst for the one who offers us right relatedness. Let's pray. Gracious and living God, thank you for your presence with us here this morning. Thank you for this meal that you provide. We are hungry. We are thirsty. Would you feed us here with your very presence? Would you satisfy our souls? And I would pray, Jesus, even as you satisfy our deepest desires, would you even grow those desires that we would even be more hungry and more thirsty for right relatedness? So Jesus, satisfy us here and grow in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Christ Pacific Church, visit our website at www.cpchb.org and follow us on social media at Christ Pacific Church.